latest on the Trump indictment, and there is certainly a lot to say there. Amigos, welcome to Hot Mics from Left to Right. I'm excited to be here once again in person with my co-host Alice Stewart, and I do want to tell everyone we have sexy Alice here with us. She's getting over a cold, but her voice sounds amazing. It's always great to join you, Maria, and I, I do sound like a lounge singer. It's been a late <laughs> night here at the at the lounge, and yeah, there's so much, so many facets of the Trump indictment. Obviously, the the magnitude of it. But obviously his response, the GOP response, and the impact that this has on the 2024 race. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about um, the growing 2024 field, and we're going to talk about an awesome, fun event that you went to at the White House coming up later. But we want to thank everyone for tuning in. We uh, like to have these conversations once a week to talk about the news of the week, and um, we do so in a respectful way uh, with um, we think thoughtful uh, conversation, and we'd love to get your feedback. You can follow me on Twitter at Alice Tweet and Instagram Alice Stewart DC. And I can be reached on Twitter at Maria T Cardona and on Instagram at Maria Cardona DC. And like you said, Alice, so much news about uh, again everything around the Trump indictment. But I think a couple of things really caught my eye. The first one is when we heard about the judge that was going to preside over the trial, uh, Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump-appointed judge, also the same judge who uh, was was appointed to deal with the documents, and she, as everyone recalls, was the one who called for a special master, and then the, um, the appellate court essentially completely blocked her on that, and um, struck down everything that she had asked for. And people say that from a legal standpoint, it was embarrassing. And, and so now what we're hearing is when people were assuming that she was going to do everything to help the Trump campaign, well, and Donald Trump himself in this trial in terms of dragging things out, we hear that she's actually asked for uh, the teams to get their security clearances in an expedited manner. And so I think that is kind of telling people she's going to go by the book. She's going to try to do this quickly. She did not recuse herself. And so hopefully she is trying to demonstrate that she has no bias here. Yeah, Maria, I was really su pleasantly surprised to see uh, Judge Cannon jump in so forcefully on this. And, you know, here we have this 37-count indictment against the former president for obviously very serious charges for uh, mishandling uh, documents. And he's said, pleaded not guilty, but she is, uh, one of her first steps in there was to um, require all attorneys in the case for Trump, as well as uh, his uh, valet, the Diet Coke guy, Walt Nauda, um, charged alongside him. So she's basically saying, you can't drag this out. You need to have security clearances. Here's your deadline to get security clearances so we can get the ball rolling. And that's, for someone who wants to see this, go ahead and move forward and see justice served here. That's a, a good way for her to really cut the Trump team off at the pass. Everyone knows they're going to try and slow roll this and uh, delay this as long as possible. But she's saying, nope, we're going to get this ball rolling. And I just thought that was so important, Alice, because, again, I think it gives those of us who are really worried about how she might be there to to help Trump at every turn 
and, and, you know, put doubt again into um, her ability to look at this uh, from an unbiased perspective. And so I think it just gives people faith in the justice system, which is, you know, we need, we need so badly. And, you know, what she did was is that she ordered the attorneys to file a what's called a notice of compliance by June 20th, which is pretty quickly, a relatively rapid pace. And so both Trump and Nauda are looking to fill out their legal teams in the coming days. And we've seen that that is something that Trump has had difficulty with. So I thought that was critical. The other two pieces of news that really jumped out at me is the first one, how much money Trump raised, $7 million, which again is not a surprise, but just to kind of see it in writing is a little jaw dropping. And then the other one is how Pence and others are starting to realize how serious these charges are and aren't going to be so easily um, taking Trump's side on this. And so those are those are some of the, you know, big sort of big, big ticket news items, I think. But there's also another one that I want to talk about, which is your piece on CNN, which, um, which I thought was super smart. And it's entitled Republicans take a good hard look at where Trump is leading you. Talk to us about your piece. Yeah, thanks, Maria. The point was this is that the the way that the GOP, I'm talking from voters to party leaders to the 2024 challengers, many are rallying behind uh, former President Trump. And right out of the gate, you heard his uh, fellow 2024 challengers go directly to the idea of weaponization of the DOJ. Um, the government justice department has their finger on the scales and they were quite supportive of the former president. Um, my problem with that is that while the GOP may rally behind that idea, it's not going to help us win a general election. So uh, I talk about in my piece is that, um, look, he's calling tr- former president Trump says he's not guilty. And he's basically, as I say in my piece, he's calling for fealty to him over fidelity to the rule of law and the constitution. He's asking supporters to turn a blind eye to his impropriety and false claims that special counsel Jack Smith is a thug and engaged in political persecution. In short, in my mind, uh, the misguided cries denouncing what he says are a double standard really masquerades for what he wants a hope for no standard at all. And this isn't what the party of law and order stands for. Republicans stand for law and order. So we're seeing some of the candidates walk this back. Uh, Mike Pence uh, has walked this back saying that he can't defend these actions. Uh, We're seeing Nikki Haley and Tim Scott saying these are serious charges and we need to look at this. But then on the other hand, we have Vivek Ramaswamy saying, if I'm elected president, I will pardon him. And Ron DeSantis is still going after, you know, the weaponization of the DOJ. And voters, you look at the polls, even this week, um, 53% of uh, Republican voters in the Quinnipiac poll said these indictments are not going to affect their support for Trump. And that to me is the critical piece that all of the other candidates that are running against Trump really need to figure out, and, and it's not going to be easy. And I want to read the last paragraph of your piece which, because I think it's critical. The last paragraph goes like this. Amidst the optics of a highly choreographed MAGA rally, Trump is embarking on a personal crusade for a get-out-of-jail-free card. This is a campaign about self-preservation, 
not selfless public service. I'm not convinced that's how you make America great again. And I just thought that was so smart of you to point out, Alice, because in, when, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier as we were preparing for the podcast, which is that there's such a divide between the MAGA base, which is in for Trump no matter what, and what I think a lot of the rest of the Republican Party understands, which is they're at a crossroads because this shouldn't be about just one person. And right now it is really all about one person. It really is. And I've talked with a lot of the campaigns that are out there, the, the leading candidate, candidates and the ones down in the um, single digits in the polls. And, and I asked them, I said, you know, what are voters asking about? You're out there on the campaign trail, I'm sure, talking about the economy and public safety and foreign policy. But what are the people asking? Are they talking about Trump? And they say that they're not frustrated with Trump, but they are still frustrated with what they see as a weaponized Department of Justice, the overreach of the Justice Department and the the government, and uh, basically a mistrust of the government. And that's because that's what Donald Trump says, and they believe it. And it's, uh, you know, having been on a campaign where you're out there trying to push a message that appeals to voters— yet you're responding to every whim of Donald Trump, it's frustrating. And th- that's what's happening again. And here's my thing. Look at Donald Trump's own words. He acknowledges that he had information that was classified. He, he needs to answer to all of these questions and fight his own battles. And I don't understand why all these Republican voters want to go out there and fight his battles when they've got they need someone to fight for them not fight for his legal battles and the way they were able as you said raising seven million dollars since this last indictment i i have no sympathy for someone who's going to pay money to defend that that's exactly right and and that i think is the huge conundrum that all of the other republican candidates presidential candidates are in because they do see a MAGA base right now that is all in for Trump, even though you see polls like the recent CBS poll that said the vast majority of Republican voters want a candidate to talk about the future, want a candidate to talk about what they would do for the country moving forward. They don't want to hear about the past. They don't want to relitigate the 2020 election. Yet, that's exactly what they are acting like is what they want with their unwavering support of somebody like Donald Trump. And so how do you go about a strategy to straddle that when you have voters themselves kind of, you know, have a split personality uh, when they're talking to a pollster and then a a completely different one when they're at a Trump rally? Here's the thing that kills me. Trump is able to convince these people, look, if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. Well, I'm sure American people aren't going to go steal classified documents. They're not going to use money to pay off a porn star. They're not going to try and overturn the election. They're not going to call for an insurrection at the Capitol. American people don't do this kind of thing. So the argument that if it can happen to me, it can happen to you, I think is complete BS. It, it, it makes no sense at the intellectual level. But again, one of the other things that we were talking about is there is no 
intellectuality in this whatsoever. It is all guttural. It is all emotional. It is all about grievance. And that is what Donald Trump has been so brilliant. Um, and so brilliantly, he's been able to, to make those connections with these voters. And so they don't question him at an intellectual level whatsoever. Uh, because I think what you say is absolutely true. Donald Trump is using these voters. Donald Trump is putting his grievances on them and making them fight his battles for him. And, you know, it's completely unfair. But again, that is the big uh, challenge that all of the other candidates have. Because I think one of the things that you're seeing is you do have some candidates who are trying to put you know, feelers in the water of what would happen if they go all against Trump. We've seen it with Chris Christie. Um, We've seen it with, you know, less so, less directly and frontally with Tim Scott. Um, Some of it with one of the people we're going to talk about later, the new Miami mayor that jumped in. Uh, But right now, uh, what, what I believe Republicans should try especially if they see Trump's numbers continue to go up, which is what we're seeing, is they should all get together and say, what if we all go frontally against him? What if we all go and actually say, Donald Trump is not representing your best interests, MAGA voters, Republican voters. You know, I saw John uh, George Conway on one of um, our CNN panels, and he made a really good point, which is, what if a candidate made the argument like, hey, look, guys, I love Donald Trump. I think he's made some really, really um, great decisions and, and, and implemented amazing policies for the country. You know, he's really good for us. But what he's going through right now is not good for any of you. And, you know, while you guys might be mad at me for saying this, let's try to figure out what is best for all of us moving forward. Let's implement Donald Trump's policies. But... You all deserve better than the chaos and the legal woes and everything else that Donald Trump is bringing the country. And by the way, Donald Trump is making it way too easy for the crazy lefties, for the socialist progressives to come after us as a party. And we're going to be in a really difficult position to win the presidential and win back the White House if Donald Trump is our candidate, right? To make kind of that argument connect emotionally, but make the intellectual argument that Donald Trump is not going to be able to win the general election. I talk about that. I, I say that the candidates have a delicate dance, put one arm around Trump, and then also give him a kick in the pants saying that he doesn't shouldn't be in this job. And I, like George said, I have three things that they can should say. Acknowledge that Trump has done some good things for the party, such as Supreme Courts, reducing regulations, tax reform. Acknowledge that he is no doubt a party favorite for the primary. And number three, acknowledge that he is an albatross for the GOP in a general election. And we cannot win in a general election with him based on common sense because he's certainly disaffected suburban women and independent voters before all this happened, before January 6th, before all of these indictments. And there's more to come. So it gets further alienated the key base, key group of voters that we need to win. And I I think that can be done. And it will be interesting to see as the field continues to grow who does that. And 
the latest name to come in is Miami Mayor uh, Francis Suarez. I'll, I'll be interested to see how he makes this dance around Donald Trump. I think he's very impressive. Um, like you said, um, kind of fun to look at. Um, but he's also somebody that I think Republicans could and should rally around in terms of what he represents, right? He's the a younger generation than Trump, which he... he he kind of says it, but he more so shows it in his launch video because he's running, which I think is, is kind of cool. I'm sure you love that as a runner. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I also think it was in, it's interesting because he also does this uh, focus on the future, on being somebody that can represent the future, that can represent optimism. He is the first Latino right now, the only Latino in the race, which I think is also um, important and smart for Republicans to... Um, to underscore and and to focus on. The thing I think is going to come and bite him in the butt is that he voted for Andrew Gillum, did not vote for Trump in 2016 or 2020, probably voted for Hillary in 2016. Um, And so you know that if he gets any traction whatsoever, that is what the other presidential, um, his other presidential primary opponents are going to be focused on and and attack him on. And that's easy for a primary. That kind of voting record for a Republican will be great in a general election, but it's not going to help you in a primary. But to your point, his message of looking to the future is important. He got in a lot of heat in an interview with George Stephanopoulos this week when Stephanopoulos was really pushing him to, you know, commit on Trump and what would you do? And um, he wisely sort of tried not to go on record too harshly against the former president, but Stephanopoulos just kept going after him. And that's the kind of thing that shows that you're new new to the field when you don't have a good solid answer on the questions that you know you're going to be asked. And, you know, he had a good point that I'm here to talk about the future. I'm here to talk about the economy. I'm here to talk about what voters are talking about. But at the end of the day, all of these candidates know that every reporter is going to ask him about Trump. You need to have a good, solid, zipped-up answer, answer the question, and then move on. But th- that's, you know, that comes from being a presidential candidate you know, for five minutes. You, you don't have that ability yet. But um, he, he's going to have to have a good, solid answer to that and, and then be able to pivot. I, I think that's right. It, and that brings us back to the theme i believe of this whole podcast which is what are these other republican presidential candidates going to do with trump and and i do think that they are going to have to come up with to your point you made this point in your op-ed very strongly and then george conway copied it and said it on cnn (laughs) that's that's that's, um plagiarism (laughs) that is plagiarism um but it's true. They, I think the only way to try to do something different that might work to knock Donald Trump down is if every single candidate uh, agrees to go at him frontally. No, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts. And you can do it in a way, like you said in your op-ed, by um, cocooning the base, right? You're not attacking the base, which is why I think so many 
candidates don't do this because they don't want the base to believe they're attacking them. But you can make the very specific argument that it that we're not attacking the base. We love you, right? It's Donald Trump that is not actually looking out for you now, right? But everyone needs to do it. It can't just be Chris Christie. And it can't be Tim Scott and and Suarez and Nikki Haley and Pence pussyfooting around it and, and doing this delicate dance. It has to be very direct very intentional or it's not going to work. You're exactly right. It has to be somewhat a coordinated attack. And, you know, unfortunately with the large field that we have, you're going to have a difficult time doing that. Um, I would hope that on the debate stage, everyone will do that. Everyone will um, go full speed ahead on, on, on that. But everyone is looking at the numbers. They see where the polls are and, and Trump continues to rise and they don't want to alienate him. And, you know, I'm hearing that the RNC, you know, right now to, to get on the debate stage, you have to have 40,000 unique donors. You have to be a certain level in the polls to get on the stage. I'm hearing they're going to increase that uh, threshold even greater for the second debate, which means these you know, new, in, new entrants into the race aren't going to have that number of donors, aren't going to have the poll numbers, so they won't get on the stage. And to be quite honest, if, if you're not on the debate stage, it's impossible to get your message out, to build a grassroots network to vote for you in the Iowa caucus or in the New Hampshire primary. So it's going to really winnow the field once these debates starts. And you know, that will be an opportunity for the Republican voters to really contrast compare and contrast the candidates. But again, that compare and contrast is is going to be meaningless if people don't really make the point and make the argument that they are the ones who should be taking, um, who should have the number one spot and, and that voters should trust are going to represent them in a way that they think Donald Trump does, but at the same time without all of the baggage. And, you know, I've said this before. I think one of the um, one of the things that candidates need to need to be aware of, and and it could be the reason why none of this will work and why Donald Trump will continue to, to have the top spot and he might get the nomination, you know, having been indicted, maybe even convicted and maybe even running his campaign from jail. Um, because I, I, I believe that he gives them permission to wear their white nationalism, their racism, their xenophobia, their misogyny, their homophobia, all of their isms and phobias on their sleeve and unapologetically. And I think, sadly, there is a strain among the American people. And again, it's not the majority, not even the majority within the Republican Party, I believe. But they are very loud and they are very energetic and they love that Donald Trump represents them. And they see themselves in him every time he's at a rally, every time he talks about the grievances, every time he talks about, you know, the government going after them. Uh, And I think, sadly... If Republican um, primary candidates don't try to figure out how to stamp that out, that's going to win the day. And Donald Trump is going to continue to have the majority. 
to your point, that's a very small part of the Republican Party, but it is a part. And you're right, they do see themselves in him and continue to elevate that. But anyway, there'll be plenty more to talk about the indictment. So uh, obviously the judge is moving quickly on this. So we'll follow up on, on how things proceed next week. And we're going to wrap up as we do each week with what we call our meaningful moment. It's kind of a lighthearted message of optimism in the, this time of turmoil. And yours is based on event at the White House uh, last night. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so last night was the screening of this amazing movie called Flaming Hot. And it was such a cool thing to have been invited um, to the White House for this. We were on the South Lawn. It was outside. The weather was absolutely beautiful. They had two big screens right in front of, of the residence. So it was just a beautiful, beautiful backdrop. The president and Dr. Jill Biden and then Eva Longoria, uh, my dear friend and iconic uh, Latina leader who is now also a producer and a director, and she's been very, very focused on doing everything she can to lend her power, her star power, to help others tell their stories. So this story is about a guy named Richard Montañez, who started out as a janitor at Frito-Lay. And he looked around and he saw that none of his people, no Latinos, where he was from in, in, in his neighborhood, were buying Frito-Lay products. And then he looked around whenever he had lunch or dinner and how every single Latino was putting all kinds of spices on their food. And he put the two and two together. And he's like, what if we put all of these yummy spices on our Frito-Lay products? And so he is credited for coming up with the idea for Flaming Hot Cheetos and then the whole Flaming Hot line of products. Oh, that's cool. It's very, very cool. And the story is incredibly inspirational. I mean, people were laughing, crying, yelling, you know, uh, and, and it was just such a great, great experience. So my quote is actually a Richard Montañez quote uh, about, you know, doing everything you can to make your dream come true. And one of the things that he says in this film, and he this has been a motto of his, is goes like this. Our job is not to seek others whose wisdom will put the greatness into us, but rather to seek those who will help us get our greatness out. Oh, that's awesome. Like inspiring. Seek out people that help you to be the best you can be. That is exactly right. And one of the things that we saw in the movie is how the CEO at the time for Frito-Lay, uh, uh, Roger Enrico, was actually very inspired by Richard and gave him the opportunity to um, to have his product out and gave him the opportunity to, to market it. And Richard actually rose from the ranks of janitor to become a, a top executive, a top multicultural marketer at Frito-Lay, one of the first ones, that then really helped guide the company on how to market products to the growing Hispanic community. That's great. And the movie is Flaming Hot. It sounds great. Mine is sort of along the same vein. A friend of mine's son had the opportunity to uh, to meet Shaquille O'Neal um, last week and just was super cool and has some really cool stories. But it, I kind of wanted to 
read up more on Shaquille O'Neal, and he's just so awesome. And one of his quotes, I think, really jumped out at me. He's he's actually a great businessman now. He's he's part owner in yeah. almost fifty companies, and and he's a, um, a DJ and goes out and does all these music events, and so he's super engaged in a lot of venues. But his quote says, um, "The reason most people give up is because they tend to look at how far they still have to go instead of how far they have come." I love that so much. That's not really something you think about, but it, because people tend to kind of look to look in front of them and not look at the trail behind them, yeah. which that's that is fantastic. And you're right about Shaquille. He is phenomenal and and he's funny and you see him like on all of these commercials and he's just super super engaging. It's so easy to look at like I'm never going to make it up that mountain, but you need to pat yourself on the back every now and then. Um, anyway, that wraps up this week's um, Hot Mics from Left to Right. Thanks for struggling through listening to my voice. I, I'm sure I'll be better next week. I feel fine. I just sound like uh, crazy. But um, we'd love for you to like and share our podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Alice Tweet and Instagram, Alice Stewart DC. Alice putting the hot and hot mics from left to right this week. <laughs> Thank you, amigos, for joining us. I can be reached on Twitter at Maria T. Cardona and on Instagram at Maria Cardona DC. And as always, we look forward to hearing your feedback, your comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you want us to have guests. And as always, have a great week. Hasta la próxima.